The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray. Father, Lord Father, we may, may our thoughts and our hearts be weighed upon your spirit. Lord, may, uh, Lord, may you bless this church, not only, Lord, uh, because we worship you, but because we know who you are. Lord, I pray that the word is being read and applied in our lives, uh, not because of our works, but because of your work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that our hearts are open, our, he- our ears are ready to hear. Lord, soften our hearts to your word so we can hear you and listen to you only. Lord, I, pl- I pray for uh, Randall as you use him uh, to preach the word. Lord, I pray for every single person here and for everyone that's listening, Lord, or that's watching, uh, that they be cut to heart because of your word. Lord, we humble ourselves to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right, good morning. Everyone got some cereal? Good, 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 good. So uh, today, uh, if this is your first time, welcome. My name is Randall and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, It's a joy to be with you this morning. We're gonna be continuing in our series called Crafted by God. And um, what we've been talking about the past few weeks is this idea that, you know, God has created the church and and why? Why did he create the church? And, And really it's because we need it. We need the church, and so we're studying the book of Titus and looking at some of the reasons why we need the local church and, and why we, we should be a part of it. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to be having uh, something called Finding Your Place, and so we believe that God has designed each of us to, to be a part of the family of God, and so, so what does that look like? We're going to be talking about that and, and talking about what does it look like to be a, a member of Grace City, so I'm excited about that coming up February 18th. You'll hear more about that coming up soon. And so uh, if you're new today, here, here's the thing. We preach the Bible every week. And, and I wrestle with these messages because I, I take my calling as, as pastor very seriously. And, and my hope for you is that you grow and grow and grow continually in, in the word and in who God is and in who Jesus Christ is and the truth of the gospel. And so today we're looking at uh, Titus 1, 4 through 9, which addresses leaders, people like me. And the reasons why we need to follow God's way when it comes to leadership. 
And so my message is this, crafted by healthy biblical leadership. When we look at the church, there are leaders and God has set standards for what these leaders look like. And so the question I wanna start with is this, does healthy leadership matter? It seems recently I've been getting on my uh, phone those updates, news updates, continually about indiscretions of people that were put in authority positions, leaders that were abusing and taking advantage of the positions that they were in. And it has grieved my heart. I'm I'm telling you, the past few weeks has grieved my heart to see leadership and the abuse of leadership in our culture. It's led to brave women stepping up and sharing hashtag me too because they've been abused by leaders. I've been grieved recently with seeing all the news of former USA Gymnastics and Michigan State team doctor Larry Nasser, who abused countless girls for decades. And right now he's on trial And testimony after testimony from brave women who are now facing their abuser. One of those ladies this past week was Allie Raisman, and here's what she said. She says, at this point, talk is worthless to me. We're dealing with real lives and the future of our sport. We need to believe this won't happen again for this sport to go on. We need to demand real change. We need to be willing to fight for it. It's clear now that if we leave it up to those organizations, history is likely to repeat itself. To know what changes are needed requires us to understand what exactly happens and why it has happened. This is a painful process, but it's the only way to identify all the factors that contributed to this problem and how they can be avoided in the future. This is the only way to learn from these mistakes and make gymnastics a safer sport. See, what's being brought to light is that leadership inexcusably turned a blind eye and enabled despicable behavior when their job is to protect. See, in many ways, this toxic leadership has a scarring ripple effect, particularly on these young women for the rest of their lives. Healthy leadership matters greatly in all areas of life, whether it be work, family, personal life, Here's the thing, toxic environments are real. And sadly, it can even happen within the church. And so God gives clear instruction on what healthy leadership looks like and our need for it. Commentator Daniel Aiken says this, leadership is crucial to the success of any organization. The church is no exception. Everything rises or falls on leadership. Today, as always, there's a tremendous need for good, godly leadership in the church. So what is God's design for leadership within the local church? Well, the scriptures talk about leadership, particularly in four different areas in the New Testament. Uh, The book of Acts, uh, chapter 20, verses 28 through 38, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, which we're going to be looking at today. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. 
And what we find particularly about leadership is this. It starts with this, that Jesus is the head, that he is the chief shepherd. And so you're going to find in verses like Ephesians 5 and 1, Timothy, or 1 Peter 5, 4, where it says this, that Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. And what that translates into is this, that Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. And so somebody asks, okay, who's the senior pastor of Grace City Church? It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. He's the leader. He's the one who guides this church. And 1 Peter 5 also says, it says this, that there are people that, like me that are under shepherds. See, I'm ultimately under his authority, his leadership. I am accountable to God for leading in the church. And so God gives specific roles. You already see this through scripture, but it's called the elder pastor role. There's deacons within the church. And so God gives specific roles of leadership. And here's what leadership is ultimately in the church. Because we hear the word leader and we think somebody up here, hierarchy, but that's not how it's structured. It's service. It's serving. You know, Jesus' disciples were having this argument about leadership. And uh, here was their argument. Which one of us is the greatest? Which one is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And so Jesus comes into this argument because he hears them arguing. And he says this in Matthew 20, verses 24 through 28. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is my role? It's to serve. Again, it's not a hierarchical structure, but it is one that is flatlined and says, okay, if you're first among equals, then you are here to serve. I always loved that show, um, Undercover Boss. You ever seen that show? It's the, the guy who usually the CEO, he gets caught up into uh, this show where he has to go and dress up like one of the everyday employees that work in their company, their organization. And usually what happens is these CEOs are taken off guard. They're like, whoa, I didn't realize all the things that you had to do. Because so many times they were so far removed from the everyday people, not serving, not listening, but just doing their job, making decisions, that it was shocking to them when they came down and said, wow, this is what you do every day. And what it did was it made them better leaders in the long run made them people who understood and were able to listen and hear. See, John Stott says this about leadership. He says, the very first thing which needs to be said about Christian ministers of all kinds are that they are under people as their servants rather than over them. Jesus made this absolutely plain. The chief characteristic of Christian leaders, he insisted, is humility, not authority, and gentleness, not power. See, our text today is this, Titus 
1, 4 through 9. And, and God defines healthy leadership in the church in these verses and all throughout Scripture. And so just to give some background, the Apostle Paul writes to Titus because Titus had been left there on Crete. It was a 146-mile uh, island um, that they were preaching the gospel on together. And Paul gives him a purpose for leaving him. He says, okay, now that people have responded to the gospel, a church has been formed. I want you, Titus, to establish healthy leadership. Healthy leadership. And he says two things. First, he says this. He says, in verse five, he tells him to put what remained in order. And so there is an order to the church. There, there are things that, you know, you structure and all these things you put into place. There's a healthy order for the church. And he says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so this putting into order is this. There was work that Paul started but did not have the chance to finish. So now Titus has this responsibility. So there are things that we have here at Grace City Church. You know, we'll have uh, gatherings on Sunday mornings. We have groups which help disciple. And so we got the men's and the women's ministry, all these things that help the, the ministry to go. But the purpose in all of it is this, to equip you to know and love Jesus. That's the whole purpose behind structure of any structure that should be within the church is that it's meant to disciple and help you to grow in your relationship with Christ. And so our mission as a church is to equip you with the gospel for everyday life because we want you to go out in the world equipped as a Christian to face whatever you're gonna face that day because it's not just being a Sunday Christian, but we are called to be Christians Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day of the week. And so our mission and our goal as a church, and that's why we put structure and order in place is so that you can know and love Jesus more. But then he says this, he says, at the forefront, appoint qualified leaders. And here's what leaders look like. He gives three qualities or attributes. The first one is this, commitment. The second is character. And the third one is conviction. Commitment, character, conviction. And so let's look at the first one, commitment. Uh, it says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Now, Paul is, he is focused on this word above reproach. This word means blameless, that no one would have any accusation against them. They're not perfect people that are leaders, but they have a life that's worth following. Okay, and so these are people who've been transformed and changed by the grace of God. They set the pattern of someone whose life has been changed radically by Jesus. Um, the apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so if there's a leader worth following, this is somebody that's following after Christ. They're looking to Jesus. They're pointing people to him. That is a person above reproach, as Paul would describe. And then he helps us to flesh this out. And so he does this by first pointing to, for this person in particular, a commitment to family. A commitment to family. So um, as we look at verse six, he says family. So husband of one wife, 
Young children are believers. And so if this particular person who's being placed into leadership has a wife or family, there's a responsibility. Now, Paul himself is speaking, but he doesn't have a wife or family. We see that he lived a life of singleness and that, and I just wanna say this, if God might call some of you to a life of singleness and that is a godly thing. We live in a world that worships romantic relationships. It says, that's what you were made for. You, you were made for a romantic relationship, yet God has people like the Apostle Paul who went and changed the world who were single. They lived a life of singleness and that is a godly thing. Many times we don't hear that within the church or even within the, the, the culture, but what we see is in the life of Paul. But he says, okay, if there's a leader that's set apart and they have a wife and family, here's what I, I need to see from them. He says, um, their household must not, or, or here's what he said. Why does Paul examine a leader's household first? Because the home reflects a person's priorities. It reflects a person's priorities, okay? There's a stat. Washington Times put it out. 15 million U.S. children, or one in three, live without a father. And nearly five million live without a mother. In 1960, just 11% of American children lived in homes without fathers. A biblical order for our life as God sets it out is this. It's Jesus first. It's family, wife, kids, and then ministry. That is the order which God has set into place. First Timothy 3, 5 says this. It says, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You see, God cares about the responsibilities that we have in our everyday life. And if we stand before him and say, hey, I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to take responsibility in their life. He'll hold us accountable to that. When I first started ministry, I was 23 years old, just got married. And uh, I'm telling you, my wife over the years has been so gracious with me. So gracious with me. And I remember starting, I, I felt like I had to prove something. I felt like I had to just go out there and conquer the world and make, you know, and do my best. And that was something that was a huge responsibility on my life, was that Jesus called me to the ministry. But for me, things started to get out of order. And I remember the day that God woke me up. It was when my, my son, who was just a, a little baby at the time, um, needed to get a bath. And my wife's like, hey, Randall, can you go take Kai to go get a bath? And I remember I just got home from a long day of work and I was thinking to myself, I just wanna watch ESPN. 
I don't want to go and take, you know, and give him a bath right now. Can we wait on that? And so I got up, I took my son, went upstairs, started giving him a bath. And I remember the Holy Spirit shaking me and saying, your priorities are out of order. If you're so tired that you can't do your responsibility at home, then you're spending too much time thinking or doing my ministry rather than the ministry I called you to first, which is to take care of your wife and kids. You see, there is a huge responsibility on me that these things need to be in order. And Paul puts that as a prerequisite for somebody who is a minister. He says, first, let's, let's break down this, this phrase, husband of one wife. Now, we see in scripture that God gives specific roles within the family and ultimately will hold the man responsible for the flourishing of the household. You see, when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter three, we see that God holds Adam responsible. And here's the thing. Someday, I'm gonna have to stand before God and answer Questions like this. Did Laura and the kids flourish in your home? Did they grow in the truth of the gospel? Did you sacrificially serve them and do everything you could by the grace of God to love them and point them to Jesus? Just as Adam was held responsible for the sin in the garden, I'll be held responsible in how I loved and served my family. You see, from the start, one of the things that me and my wife would say is this, Team Tanini. Team Tanini. When it was just me and her, we are Team Tanini. And over the past 12 years of marriage, my wife has astounded me time and time again. And I will do whatever it takes to protect her and love her. You see, even this morning, she called me at 9.30 and she was in tears. She's like, Randall, I've just got this excruciating headache. I just can't do this, you know? And, and, and my role, my responsibility was to tell her, there's no weight on you. I'm gonna come get the kids. I'm gonna bring them over here. I'm here to take care of you. Do whatever it takes. But here's the thing. God does not put that pressure on you. God loves you. Here's the gospel. Let me pray over you. My first responsibility is to her and to take care of her. So I went home and did that. See, I've seen strength in her over these years. I mean, when, when, when our kids were born, my thought was this. She's the strongest person I've ever met in my life. She is the strongest person I've ever met. There's no way I could do that. No way. That would have killed me. <laughs> and here's the thing. We've walked through the miscarriage of our second child, which I believe is with Jesus, and I've seen the stress and the pain that she had to go through, and I could never understand that. I've seen her fight through migraine headaches and smile it off, and only knew because she just briefly mentioned it. 
To me, she is. A godly woman. And because of her, I'm a better person. And I know I need her. I do. See, this phrase, husband of one wife, literally means a one-woman man. A one-woman man. It's not a womanizer. And, I, and because it's in the context of men, I'm going to pick on you just for a second. Men, if you're married, engaged, or thinking of marriage, here's what this looks like. When somebody asks you the question, what is beauty? Your definition is your wife. For me, she's five foot four, blonde, with green eyes, smile that can change your day. That's it. See, God has called me to die for them. Elizabeth Elliot said this. She says, when Adam named Eve, he accepted responsibility to husband her, to provide for her, to cherish her, to protect her. These two people together represent the image of God. Neither the one nor the other was adequate alone to bear the divine image. See, we see this beautiful equality within the Trinity of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 100% God, none lesser than the other, yet distinct roles within the Trinity of God, mutually serving one another. And we get to see this played out in the family structure. See, my kids are just as valuable as I am. They're, they're just as human. They're just as, you know, even though they're smaller, they're just as valuable. And they teach me something about who God is. Paul tells us the training ground for church leadership starts with the family. The second part is it connects. It's a commitment to God's church. He says this, that, that a leader in God's church is God's steward. See, Paul takes this, this connection to family now, applies it to the church. Why? Because the church is a family. And this phrase points to the reality that pastors or leaders don't own the church. God does. And so currently for Grace City Church as pastors, both Billy and I are held responsible and accountable to God for shepherding this body. We are held responsible. And so he's gonna ask us questions that we're gonna have to answer to him. Did Grace City flourish while you were pastors? Did people grow in the truth of the gospel? Did we sacrificially serve this church and do everything we could by the grace of God to love and point people to Jesus? See, this matters to God. And then we get to the second part. There's character involved. And so um, you're gonna see this in the second part of verse seven into eight. He says, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. There are five things that the apostle says to avoid. This, this person's character should avoid these things. He says, must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, 
greedy for gain. This is a person who has the fruit of the Spirit. It's not because they, they're just more disciplined than other people, and so they have this type of character. But it's that God has radically changed their life, the leader's life, to a point where they are a different person. It's much like when Oz Guinness talks about when the gospel came to Europe. He said the Europeans were a very barbaric culture. But he said when the gospel came in, he says it gentled them. It gentled them. The message of Christ gentles us. Changes us. It says not greedy for gain. Here's the thing, this isn't about money. If somebody gets into ministry or tries, we have podcasts, we have television, we have all of these things. There are ministers all over the place. Here's what I wanna tell you as a shepherd for you if Grace City is this. Avoid anybody who's trying to build a platform for themselves. That's not what this is about. And so avoid that because it's prominent. It's prominent. And so there are six character traits that he says. He says, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. This hospitableness is, is this, that, that whenever you meet a stranger, you don't treat them like a stranger. But you love them, you welcome them in. So my hope is that as, if you're new or if you've come to Grace City, that you feel welcomed here, that you are loved here, that you are cared for here. Tim Chester says this about this verse. He says, Paul's primary concern is not finding the people with the best skills. His primary concern is with character. We, we can identify two reasons for this. First, skills used for selfish ends become destructive. Their aims are selfish and bring misery to those they lead. Second, failure to teach truth often starts with failure to live morally. Faulty desires soon enough lead to faulty teaching. In those moments where we get that message that says another leader has failed, what would it look like if there were people of character going out into the world and leading to the glory of God? It stands out. It's different. It protects the innocent and the helpless. Character matters to God. The third point is this, conviction. Verse nine, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here's the thing. My job is not to come and entertain, but hopefully some of my stories are funny. But that's not my point. It's not that. It's to come here and to hold tightly to the trustworthy word as taught. See, I'm not here to make any of this stuff up or, or to come up with flashy ideas. My job is to come up here and to speak and repeat only what God says. See, the thing about orthodox teaching is it's not flashy or new. 
It's just repeating the same thing. And so again, you're not gonna hear a lot of things that are brand new because I'm just preaching this. And we're gonna keep coming back to the gospel every week. So one of the things we say is that we are a gospel-centered church. Every week you will hear about Jesus. It will be about him. And that is the conviction of somebody who's a leader in God's church. It's not to point to themselves, say, hey, look at me, look at how great I am. It's to look at Christ and say, look at him, look at what he's done. Again, Tim Chester on this verse says, it is not so much about the ability to teach as a passion for the truth. Leaders must encourage and rebuke their church with the gospel. They must not underplay it nor say more than it. People need them to preach and celebrate the gospel. People need them to love, live by, and grow in the gospel themselves. They are to be disciples shaped by the gospel, and they are to make disciples shaped by the gospel. Here's my hope, is that you are shaped more and more by the good news of Jesus. Here's the good news, that there's a God who loved us despite us. And that he loved us so much that he didn't just talk about it, he showed it. Jesus' conviction was so deep that it says he loves us with grace and truth. See, if we were to admit it, the world is not as it should be right now. And if we were to even get a little bit closer and honest, we would say that our lives aren't as they should be. And so we need a God who comes and confronts us with the reality and still says, I love you. I feel like that's the thing that I keep having to do over and over with my kids, especially at this age. I don't know what it is this week, but my kids have been interesting. <laughs> and uh, my four-year-old in particular, she's, she's just having these tantrums. She's like, she's just kind of going, you know, and doing her own thing. And, and here's the thing. It's saying, Ava, that's not okay. But I love you. I love you so much that I'm gonna tell you the truth. Because if you go out into the world and you act like that, there's gonna be people that will rebuke you that won't love you, right? But the gospel message is this, that it, it rebukes us in love. <laughs> and it's a conviction that comes down deep and, and changes us from the inside out. See, so my responsibility is to continue to teach God's word no matter what the culture says, no matter how times change. I'm bound to Jesus I'm bound to his word. And every week, my goal is to point you back to him. And so just some quick takeaways. Here's the first one. Let God define you. Let God define you. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It says that God is our savior, like he came to save us. But it also says that he's our Lord. And so we say he's our Lord and, and savior, but the interesting thing about the, the, our culture is that we want Jesus to be our Savior, but not necessarily our Lord. We say, well, I, I, I can kind of pick and choose what I, what I want from this point on. But when you come under the Lordship of Christ, he's the one that actually defines your life. You say, Lord, I, I'm accountable to you. I, I come to you, I ask you, okay, God, what, what do you think about these things? 
I was blown away the week where we were in GC Men. And uh, one of the young men honestly and boldly said this. He says, I don't know how to be a man. Like you're asking me what it looks like to be a man. I don't even know how to. Like we said, there's a generation that's growing up fatherless. And so that's the purpose of GC Men. As we come together, what does it look like to be a godly man? What, what does it look like to be a man who doesn't abuse, but is gentle and loving? You see, there are people who say, well, what, here's what a real man looks like. He's got a big burly beard. He's, you know, out there doing man stuff. Here's the thing. I can't even grow a beard, but I know I'm a man. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the lies that's out there is like, well, men don't cry. But Jesus, the greatest man who ever walked this earth, says he wept. He felt. And so my challenge to you is this. Men, learn what it means to be a man from Christ. Learn what it means. And women, God wants to define what it looks like for you to be the beauty he created you to be. You don't have to believe the lies anymore about the culture and says, this is what beauty looks like. I want you to know it's a lie. There is much more to beauty by what God says than what the world does. And it'll help you to sort out the guys that you don't need to be with, okay? When you come to Christ and you see the way that Christ raises up, elevates, encourages women, you'll know what it looks like to be with a man who's a real man. And so find your identity in Jesus Christ. Look to him. The next one is this, okay? It's, it's let God define you in, in your identity, but also in your calling. Here's the thing. I never saw myself going on this route of being a pastor. Never saw it. But that's what God called me to do. And through that calling, he shaped me and made me to who I am. And as you come under the Lordship of Christ, he wants to do that same thing in your life as well. And so my encouragement as this church is this. May we be people who come under the Lordship of Christ and let him define us. Let him define what that looks like. And secondly, it's this, grow in his grace. Grow in his grace. No leader or no person, no Christian can attain any of these things that are part of the qualifications unless they're hiding something Right, and acting like on the outside they've got it all together. Or God changes them. See, it's a process of growing more and more into the image of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you with this. That it is the Holy Spirit of God who transforms you. It's his grace. It's, it's him not giving up on you that you keep coming back to him and saying, okay, God, 
I want to be better today by the grace of God, not by my strength, but your strength, God. And what you'll find is over time, he does that in your life. And lastly, it's this, be guided by his word. We must hold true to his word. And so my challenge to you again is to come to his word and wrestle with some of the things that are hard for you. Because there might even be things that I say today that are very hard to hear. But here's the thing. It's coming in and knowing that when you lean into a relationship, that's real. Jesus wants a relationship with us. And so what happens in a real relationship is he says things that are hard for us to hear. But as we come, knowing that he loves us, knowing that there's grace involved, then we can receive it and know that he changes us for the better. It's just like in any relationship. God comes and he wants to speak to you through his word. That's why it says, you know, we talked about last week, Hebrews 4, 12, that his word is gonna divide us in here. It's gonna cut us to the heart. His word is living and active. And so come under the lordship of Christ. Let him define who you are and let him guide you. Here's the gospel today. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25 says this. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Listen to this. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so I trust you. I entrust you to the ultimate leader, to the one who made the ultimate sacrifice, who died on the cross for our sins, Jesus Christ. I commend you over to him to seek him and find what it means to be under the ultimate leader. Let's pray. Jesus, I am under your authority and we are here as a church just asking God that you will give us your grace, your strength, your power to learn what it means to live in your design for us. And so thank you, God, that, um, that you've created the church. And I just pray that we will follow your ways in whatever way you ask us to, God. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.